turn to page 15. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended thee, and justly deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them, and I pray thee of thy boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. For our psalm today, we read Psalm 54 responsibly with the congregation reading those portions in bold type. Save me, O God, by thy name. And judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They are not set God before them. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in my truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble. And in my eye hath seen his desire upon my enemies.
Let us pray. Let thy merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of thy humble servants, and that they may obtain their petitions, make them to ask such things as shall please thee. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. You may be seated. For our catechism lesson today, we look at the significance of baptism. Excuse me, we, we are finished with uh, baptism, and I didn't change that in the header. Uh, we begin with the Office of the Keys. And we look first at the question, what is the Office of the Keys? And the answer is, it is, it is the peculiar church power which Christ has given to his church on earth to forgive the sins of penitent sinners unto them, but to retain the sins of the impenitent as long as they do not repent. Where is this written? Thus writes the holy evangelist John chapter 20th, the Lord Jesus breathed on his disciples and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Why is the office of the keys called a peculiar church power? Because it is not a temporal, but a spiritual power, which Christ has given to his church on earth, and more particularly to every local congregation. And there we remember that the word peculiar uh, does not mean weird or strange, but rather it means something that is unique and special. In Matthew 16, verse 19, Jesus said, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In John 20, verse 21, then Jesus, then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. And in Matthew 18, verses 17, 18, and 20, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And I might point out, and we just went through this in our Bible study of the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asked, you know, who do men say that I am? And they respond, well, John the Baptist or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he asked, who do you say that I am? Peter responds, as the spokesman for the apostles and says, you know, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to Peter, thou art Peter, Petros in the Greek, which is a masculine noun. Upon this Petra, which is an, again, the word for rock, but this time in the feminine, uh, I will build my church. And so Jesus says he's going to build his church upon 
not Peter, but upon the profession of Peter, the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he says, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And so here in chapter 16, the keys are given in the singular to Peter as, again, the spokesman for all the apostles. When we come to chapter 18, and this is probably not noticeable unless you use the King James, because the King James still uses a second person plural. Here it is, whatsoever ye, plural. So it's not just Peter. Uh, it is all the disciples and indeed the entire church. Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Actually, the Greek is kind of unique there because if I remember right, it's kind of a future imperfect. Shall have been bound in heaven, if you were to literally translate it. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed or shall have been loosed in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So we see that this office of the keys is entrusted to the entire church. And of course, the ministers use the office of the keys because they're called by the church to exercise this office publicly for the church. First Peter 2 verse 9 says, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye, again plural, should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so speaking here to the believers, uh, they are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar, a unique, God's own special people in order that they should show forth the praises of him who has called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, brought them from unbelief to belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our epistle lesson for today is recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at the sixth verse. Here St. Paul writes, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Here ends our reading of the epistle. Please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The 
Holy Gospel appointed for today is reported in St. Luke's Gospel in chapter 16, beginning at the first verse. And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, An hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, make to yourself friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Here ends our reading of the Holy Gospel. Today we join in confessing our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed, which is found on page 12. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. We continue our worship by singing hymn 398. Renew me, O eternal light.
you to bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we again give you thanks for the privilege of hearing your word, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and bless both the speaking and the hearing of your word, that we might be strengthened in our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might hold fast to him and not turn aside from him, but trust in him until we gain eternal rest with you in heaven. We ask these things for Jesus' sake, amen. Today we continue in the book of Hebrews in chapter four. And this chapter begins with the verse, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of it. I kind of view this verse as the summary of the entire chapter. It's what this chapter is all about. And it tells us to fear, not in the sense of being afraid and fearful in that way, but to have a godly fear so that we don't take for granted our salvation but rather that we examine ourselves to be sure we're in the faith, that we have not turned aside, that we hold fast to our Lord Jesus Christ, that through faith in him we might obtain eternal rest. Verses two and three say, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath that they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So here we have somewhat of a caution. Points out that the gospel was preached to both those who believed and those who did not believe. To all people has been promised 
through faith in Christ, because he died for our sins, to all people has been promised forgiveness, eternal rest in heaven. But it does not profit those who do not believe the message, who do not take hold of it in faith, who do not live in faith with, uh, in that promise. And so it speaks of those who hear the message, hear the gospel, but it's not mixed with faith. But it speaks of those who enter into rest, who have believed the promise. And again, it goes back and quotes from Psalm 95, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. I think of passages like, John chapter 3, you know, shortly after verse 16. In John chapter 3 are these words, which Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. He that believeth on him, talking about the Son of God, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Or... The evangelist John summarizes this at the end of the chapter when he says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And we used to include in our absolution on the page five service, the words written in the Gospel of Mark, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. It goes on to explain how these works were finished from the foundation of the world. In verses four through six, we read, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, in this way. And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. This, of course, takes us back to Genesis chapter 2, where we have the account of God's creation. In Genesis chapter 2, after we read in chapter 1, of the six-day creation. In chapter 2, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it, that in it, he had rested from all his work which God created and made. This somewhat at least indicated, as we read in the scriptures, that God already had prepared a rest for those who believed in him. Of course, we know that God's creation did not go on long without sin, and so it becomes somewhat of a moot point. But it's often speculated, what if Adam and Eve had not sinned? What would have happened? Would they have lived forever in this world or would they have, as Enoch was later, been translated 
with a new spiritual body made to live forever with the Lord, been translated into the very presence of God. And certainly that seemed to be indicated as you read the scriptures. And so even when God created the heavens and the, the earth, he had intended at least a rest, a rest, a spiritual rest in his eternal kingdom that his people, those who trusted in him, would live forever with him in the glories of heaven. Of course, as we read on in the book of Hebrews, we see at verse 7, again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And so what is this saying? If we think back to Joshua, in Joshua chapter 21, Beginning at verse 43, it says, And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about, according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel, all came to pass. And of course, here in the book of Hebrews, when it says, if Jesus had given them rest, we need to remember that the Greek name for Jesus and Joshua are the same. Joshua in Greek is Jesus or Jesus. And so it says, you know, if Jesus had given them rest, but it is referring to Joshua. So God promised them rest under Joshua, and under Joshua they came and pretty much conquered the land, and God kept all of his promises, and he gave them rest from their enemies. So why then under David, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 95, do we read the words which are being quoted in the book of Hebrews? In Psalm 95, beginning at verse 7b, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, provoked me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said it's a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Unto whom I swear in my wrath, that they should not enter into my rest. And so God swore that the people of Israel who rebelled would not enter into his rest. But David in the Psalm points out that there still remains a rest. And that if we do not continue in the faith, if we do not continue to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we also will be excluded from this rest. 
In verse 10 it says, For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. So what is it to enter into God's rest? Well, first of all, we enter into God's rest when we cease from our own works, as God ceased from his. If you stop and think about this, what happened when Jesus suffered and died on the cross? Even before that, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus said, I have finished the works which you gave me to do. On the cross, Jesus cried out before he died, it is finished, tell us die. He had paid the price for the sins of the entire world. And we also read in Hebrews chapter 1, that God who at sundry times in a diverse manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And so Jesus accomplished our salvation. He paid the price. Atonement has been made. Through faith in him, there is forgiveness and life. St. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. And so how do we enter into that rest? Well, first of all, we need to remember that this rest has been prepared by God. It was his intention from the very foundation of the world. And when our Lord Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross, he paid in full, it is finished. Our redemption was accomplished. When we cease trying to work and appease God by our own works and place our faith in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, we enter into rest. Think of Jesus' words, you know, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. When we trust in Jesus, we have rest for our souls. And of course, this rest will be fully realized when we're with our Lord Jesus in heaven. In the Revelation of St. John in chapter 14, at verse 13, we read these words. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And so we enter into eternal rest, into the very presence of God when we die trusting in our Lord Jesus or when our Lord Jesus comes back on the last day 
and takes us to be with him forever in heaven. Verse 11 tells us, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And so here we're back to what was said in the first verse. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. The Greek word for labor here is kind of an interesting Greek word when you compare it at least to English. I don't know that I'll pronounce it right. Marty will know if I mispronounce it, but uh, he probably won't tell on me. Spudasomen. Uh, from which we get the word speed. And it really means to hasten, to make an earnest effort, or to diligently labor. Now, does this mean that we can somehow earn our salvation, that we have to work for it, that we have to labor for it? No, not at all. It's been won for us by our Lord Jesus Christ. But we need to hasten after it and hold on to it fast, lest we lose it by unbelief, by turning away from the Lord God. And then come these familiar words. Verse 12, for the word of God is quick, which means it's living, alive, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. If you think of a sharp Damascus steel sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, neither is there any creature that is, is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now we might wonder when we read this, well, what does this have to do with laboring to enter into that rest, you know, holding on to the gospel promises lest we depart from them in unbelief. And what it comes down to is self-examination. Again, I think of this passage in Second Thessalonians, or Second Corinthians, rather, chapter 13, where we are urged to be examining ourselves. Second, 13, Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, tells us, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove or test your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. And so the scriptures urge us to examine ourselves. Well, how do we examine ourselves, whether we are in the faith? Here's where the word of God comes in. The word of God is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, it pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so when we examine ourselves with the word of God, what does it reveal? You know, if we examine ourselves by our own standards, we say, oh, yeah, pretty good. I haven't... Uh, 
You know, I haven't broken this commandment this week. When we examine ourselves with the Word of God, and the Word of God cuts to the very heart and reveals the truth that Jeremiah expresses that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Or as Jesus says, you know, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, thefts, fornications, false witnesses, this whole list of things that comes from out of our hearts and defile us because our hearts are sinful. And so as Christians, we examine our faith and our life with the word of God, which reveals those areas of our life where we are still living in sin, maybe impenitence, where we need to repent and look back to the Lord. And if you think of our epistle lesson today, think of the children of Israel who continually fell into sin and doubted God's word. Who instead of following what the word of God says, you know, went their own way. They grumbled, they complained, uh, they spoke evil of Moses and of Aaron. Uh, they did not trust. And as a result, they fell in the wilderness and did not enter the promised rest. So also we examine ourselves to see if we also have areas in our life, and of course we all do, where we are still living in sin, where instead of being controlled and led by God's spirit through the word of God, we are being led by our old sinful flesh and following our old sinful ways. And such things can endanger our very salvation because one cannot willfully go on against God's will, against his commandments, and continue in the faith. It destroys faith. And so we are to examine ourselves with the word of God and let it cut deep into our heart and reveal our very thoughts and our desires and show us where we need to repent, places where we need to pray for God's help and strength to amend our lives. I quote, quote this often to you, but I think it's such a beautiful prayer of David, Psalm 139 at the end. Search me, O God, and know my heart and try me, which means to test me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so, desiring to enter into that rest which awaits us through faith in Jesus Christ, we examine ourselves with the word of God we repent of the sin and evil in our lives, and we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the atoning sacrifice he made there for us on the cross. Verses 14 and 15, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not and high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is our high priest. He was tempted in every way like we are. But did he give in to those temptations? When we look in Matthew chapter 4 at how he was tempted by the devil, he resisted those temptations and used the word of God, he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. 
in answer to each of those temptations, and he continued to be faithful to the Lord God. And so he was tempted in all points, like as we are, and yet without sin. He is our high priest. He is our advocate. We can certainly go to him with the confidence that he will hear and answer our prayers. A couple other verses that are similar to this and what they express. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so Jesus did not sin. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are counted righteous before the Lord God. Verse 16 urges us to urges us, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a high priest who has entered into the very throne of God in heaven with his shed blood to intercede for us. He made atonement for our sins. And so we can come boldly unto the throne of grace because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can come there to obtain mercy. We can acknowledge our sins and look to God to show us mercy because Jesus paid the price on the cross. And Jesus is there before the Father in heaven with his shed blood interceding for us. Again, in probably the most quoted passages in any of my sermons from 1 John chapter 1, where we read, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And why? The next chapter, my little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so we can come boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus Christ, our high priest, has made atonement, and he is there interceding for us. And we can be assured that we will receive mercy when we go and acknowledge our sins to the Lord and look to him for forgiveness. And finally, I think this passage reminds us that we may find grace to help in time of need. And we read today in our epistle lesson that no temptation has come to us, but such as is common to man, and that the Lord will, with the temptation, make a way to escape. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, which is not only in your hymnal, but it's actually in the Bible, Matthew chapter 6, and in that Lord's Prayer, we pray at verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray that God would lead us in such a way that we do not fall into temptation and that he would deliver us from evil, that when we are tempted, that he would deliver us, and also if we fall, that he would raise us up again and bring us back to repentance. And we remember that we have a high priest who is tempted in every way like we are, and yet without sin. 
He knows how to deal with temptation. He's the one that we need to go to when we are struggling with temptation because he is there to help us. He paid the price for our sins with his blood and he is there to help us overcome temptation that we might live for our God and Savior. So Hebrews chapter 4 tells us to fear, not be afraid, but to have a godly fear. And be careful, lest having this promise of eternal rest, we come short of it. Lest we, like many of the children of Israel, turn aside and fail to trust. And of course, that's true in churches today. The gospel is preached. The promise is there. Some believe and some do not. Some come short of it. And so we are urged to hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ, to let the word of God reveal our sins that we might repent and look to Jesus Christ for mercy and forgiveness. And then to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, seeking his help and aid that we might resist temptation and hold fast to our Savior. God grant this to all of us for the sake of our Lord Jesus. Amen. I ask you to please stand. Now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. by bringing forward our offerings.
I invite you to please stand and join in the prayers of the church. Merciful Father, you show mercy to us poor sinners. Lead us to acknowledge your mercy with gratitude, that in turn we may be quick to show mercy to others. Give us a right understanding of our own weakness and frailty. Preserve us from pride and lead us instead to cling to Christ and his forgiveness. Lord, in your mercy. Lord God, by your Holy Spirit, help us always to be good and faithful stewards of all that you so graciously provide. Especially grant that we may generously speak of the salvation that you provide for all through your Son. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, soften the hearts in every home. Turn parents and children toward each other in love and patience. Banish the spirit of impudence, stubbornness, and rebellion from all. Sanctify us in your truth, Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, you save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. Give true wisdom to the people of our nation and humility to those who act and decide for our governance, and let the lamp of your perfect word and way enlighten their faith and deeds. Lord, in your mercy. Faithful God, preserve those who are going through trials or suffering, temptation, and affliction. Make clear to them the way of escape, that they may be able to endure it and stand firm through faith in Christ Jesus. Lord, in your mercy. Give us a right fear of you, O Lord, that we would not abandon your truth, Give us a right love of you, O Lord, that we would fervently show mercy and thereby cover a multitude of sins. Give us a right trust in you, O Lord, that in repentance we would return to our baptism daily and in faith receive Christ's body and blood in the supper. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, give us patience in tribulation and restore to us the joy of your salvation. Comfort the weeping with your loving kindness. Console the grieving with the hope of the resurrection. And help us to live in harmony with one another. Lord, in your mercy. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have blessed us bountifully and given us daily bread. We implore you, preserve us from all covetousness and enliven our hearts to share your gifts willingly with our brothers in need that we may be found faithful stewards of your gifts and abide in your grace when we are removed from our stewardship and come before you in judgment through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today with a special request that you watch over Michael that you lead him and guide him in your way, that you provide for him and enable him to find a church home. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. You may
You may be seated. We continue by singing the first four verses of hymn 311, Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior. give thanks unto thee, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty, everlasting God. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name, evermore praising thee and saying, Thank you. 
be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. the same night in which he was betrayed to bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying take eat this is my body which is given for you this do in remembrance of me after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink ye all of it this cup is the new testament in my blood which is shed for you for the remission of sins. This do as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
Now may this holy body and precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you in the true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you for Jesus' sake. body and precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you in the true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Take heed. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, given to death for all of your sins. And may God bless you and keep you in his baptismal grace. Take also and drink. This is the true blood our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, poured out for you for the full and free forgiveness of all of your sins. Now I ask you please to stand. May this, the true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Strengthen and preserve you in the one true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace. Amen.
thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. We give thanks to the Almighty God that thou hast refreshed us through this salutary gift. And we beseech thee that of thy mercy thou wouldst strengthen us through the same in faith toward thee and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. You may be seated. We close our worship by singing hymn 402, O God, forsake me not.
Welcome to all of you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As far as announcements, uh, today, following our service, we have uh, the August voters meeting, if we have a quorum anyway. And uh, following that, we'll have our potluck dinner, which I believe is uh, sandwiches today. And uh, look forward to that. Uh, also on Wednesday at 7 o'clock, we continue our online Bible study in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we're currently in chapter 16. Any other announcements this morning? If not, uh, very, very nice to be back. To, uh, really missed being here last week. Uh, God's blessings to all of you and your Lord Jesus. Thank you.